Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. This is Shannon, and I'm here with your usual Tuesday morning episode. We have an author interview, and today I'll be sharing an interview with author Jean Chen Ho, and we'll be talking about Fiona and Jane, which was a novel that was released in the beginning of 2022. And some people are calling it a novel. Some people are calling it a collection of interconnected stories. Um, it deals with female friendship, cultural identity, and just basically what it means to be a woman in America. So I hope that you enjoy this. And then I have, of course, a list of this week's new releases. So... Let's get started with the usual housekeeping information, and then we'll get into the interview, followed by new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am chatting with author Jean Chen Ho about her debut, which is being released in the U.S. on January 4th, 2022, the first publication day of the new year and the day that we are recording. Jean, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Shannon. Thanks so much for having me. You are very welcome. So I'd like to start out with um, a brief description of Fiona and Jane. And I'm interested in a couple of things here. I've heard this described both as a novel and a collection. So I'm interested in knowing kind of how you would define it and what you like. What are the high points that you think listeners should keep an eye out for as they're reading this? Okay, great question. I personally think of Fiona and Jane as a linked story collection. Um, but yes, I've also heard from, you know, people I respect, friends who are also writers who read the book and said, I think this is totally a novel. So um, I guess I may have accidentally written a novel without realizing it. <laughs> um, but part of me really wants to hold on to these stories as stories because I feel like I work so hard to make each of them, you know, stand alone individually. 
So, um, and I really respect the short story form. So I, you know, I sort of just have a, a soft spot that probably doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense for why I'm so um, drawn to these and, and the form of a linked short story collection. So can you give listeners kind of an overview of like what this collection is about? I know that's hard to do with a collection because each story does stand on its own, but what are sort of some overarching themes that people can keep an eye out for as they're reading? Oh yeah. I sorry. If you asked me that in the first question, I totally didn't answer it. Um, that is okay. <laughs> okay. So Fiona and Jane is, uh, about two Taiwanese-American friends. You may have guessed their names are Fiona and Jane. And the book spans 20 years of their friendship um, and the ups and downs in their lives. They explore uh, relationships, romance, sexuality, family secrets, identity, um, and um, sort of float in and out of each other's lives, coming back together in their 30s and having to figure out how to be friends again as adults. There are so many powerful, powerful books about female friendships, and I'm always really glad to see that sort of continuing as a trend. I think, you know, there's a lot of books about family, for example, and family is a very powerful motivator for a lot of us, but I think there's something extra special about those female friendships, either that we sort of fall into as kids that are sort of the the mainstays of our lives or the ones that we form as as adults. So it's just, I don't know, I think there's just so many great books and so many ways to look at female friendship. And I think your um, your collection of stories does it in a little bit of a different way from what some of us might be used to here. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose to write it as a collection of linked stories rather than in your mind just as a straight up novel? Well, um, I guess, first of all, I can just say that when I started writing this project, I didn't realize I was writing a book. It was just such a dream. Um, and it seemed like an impossible dream to, to publish a book. And so when I started, started, this project, um, I was just writing the writing stories and I was just building this universe up story by story. Um, and, you know, the first story that I wrote was The Movers, and that's a story from Jane's point of view. So the, the Fiona and Jane, the finished product, the book that's um, out today is told in alternating voices. So the stories that are from Jane's point of view are told in first person. And the stories from Fiona's point of view are told in third person. And that sort of, um, I wish I could say that I really planned for that since the beginning, but it, it came about sort of organically. So the first story was the movers. And that's a story from Jane's point of view. And from there, um, you know, I really got interested in finding more about who Fiona was. So I wanted to to write a story from Fiona's point of view. And for whatever reason, it just naturally came out in third person. Um, and so I just sort of followed the thread from there. Do you find one narrative point of view easier for you to get into? I know some people will say, like, as readers, that they do or don't like, you know, first person point of view. 
um, and other people, you know, will only read first person. So I'm wondering as a writer, if you found one or the other to be easier. I think that I tend to write um, in first person in the first draft. Um, that's my tendency because I, I like to hear the voice of the character. I love writing dialogue, you know, um, if I'm writing a third person story. It's it's really a joy to just get to hear how a, a character talks and to to just be able to eavesdrop on them like that. So, you know, I... <laughs> I write, so I, I tend to write in first person. So those were the Jane stories. Um, and I just loved how spiky she is in her voice. And when I was writing Fiona, the thing about writing third person is that you actually have a lot more freedom. You're not stuck in the brain of this one character. And so you can, you can move around, you can observe this character in the third person point of view. And it's, it's really something unique to fiction that I think, um, we don't get in other genres. So I would say, I mean, I, I, I think it's my tendency to write in first person, but I'm through writing this book, I have discovered that um, you can actually have a lot more freedom in your craft. I think as uh, if you're, if you're writing from the third person. So can you talk a little bit about your journey to publication? Um, you know, and you said you had always kind of dreamed of writing a book, but it didn't seem necessarily like something that was achievable. So can you kind of talk about how that came to fruition for you? Yeah, um, I think like most writers, I grew up as a voracious reader first. You know, I just loved books. Um, I, I love checking books out from the library um, I was an English major in an undergrad at Berkeley, so I loved I loved literature. When it came to writing my own fiction, um, you know, that came a little bit later because I, I was always uh, a little bit intimidated about that prospect. And so it wasn't until my early 30s that um, I applied for MFA programs in creative writing and um, really started trying to to explore the possibility of being a writer in a much more serious way. And I think, you know, when I say that it just didn't seem possible, it's because part of that is because I didn't know anybody who was a writer. You know, I didn't know, I couldn't imagine how that was something a person could do. You know, I could imagine how somebody could be perhaps a journalist or maybe even like a TV writer or a screenwriter, but I just you know, to me, being a, a novelist is sort of like the most magical thing that a person could do. And so, of, yeah. course, of course, now that I am a published an author, I know that there are so many logistics um, and the author never does things on her own. You know, even though I wrote the manuscript, I had so much help along the way with, um, you know, my friends who workshopped the stories, my agents who gave me notes, and of course, my editor, and that's just the manuscript, you know, getting the whole book out in the world takes a whole team of people. And I'm so grateful um, for my publisher for the support. So can you talk a little bit about sort of how you how you connected, like how you came from just sort of writing this collection of stories, building this universe, to actually getting it out as a published novel that people can actually buy today? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's uh, I went sort of um, 
the traditional route of finding an agent. So once I had the manuscript written, um, I, I queried agents, I signed with my agency. And, and then after that, it still took, I don't know, maybe another year, year and a half of, of, of a couple rounds of edits um, before my agents felt like the manuscript was ready to submit to publishers. And, and then, you know, that the whole process of submitting was so nerve wracking. And then I ended up at Viking, um, which has really been a wonderful experience. I think that, um, in some ways, um, like I said, my journey to publication from having completed a manuscript is, is kind of traditional and typical, but there's so many different ways of, of publishing a book. Um, I'm, I'm on the board of an independent Asian American press called Kaya Press. And so, um, you know, because uh, that's an indie publisher, I get to see that side of things. What advice would you give somebody who is you know, trying to decide whether publishing their first book is really something that is achievable for them? Wow. Um, I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to give advice, but um, I'll give, maybe I can call it a reflection. I think that if a person has a passion to write, I think that they should always pursue it, you know, um, whether that's through perhaps taking a class or, you know, like finding an online community of other writers to share work with. Um, but finding a way to engage that side of you um, on a on a regular basis. It's kind of like working out, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because it's New Year's. And so I think every New Year's, I'm always like, OK, this is the year that I'm going to get really fit. I'm going to oh. you know, <laughs> really get into good shape this year. Um, but, you know, it's it's really difficult unless I get into a really good rhythm. Right. Um, right. And it just becomes sort of rote that you accept, like, this is part of my day. Uh, I'm going to go for a run or whatever. I think writing is sort of that same way. You know, you can get into a rhythm um, of just setting aside time for yourself. It doesn't have to be every day. But if you're serious about um, trying to write a first book, I think that um, take that idea seriously and take yourself seriously. Because... Um, you know, writing is so lonely when you're still in that manuscript creation stage, you know, and you really have to pump yourself up and believe that um, you want to do this to keep going sometimes. So I think that um, that's really key is like giving yourself permission to really go for it. I love that. I really think that the sort of metaphor, the comparison to working out is so, so viable because it's like, you know, everybody has this idea that's sort of ruminating in the back of their mind. You know, they don't really, they think about it every now and then kind of like that idea. Okay. You know, next week I'm going to start exercising, mm -hmm. you know, maybe <laughs> next month I'm going to, you know, write this book. And I think until you actually do start to get into that rhythm, I, I think it can be super hard. 
Yeah. Okay. Can I tell you something, Shannon? I feel like yes. um, that the writing routine thing is like actually so much more fun and easier than trying to get into a workout routine because. Oh, I'm uh, sure that's true. Because, okay. Like for me, uh, I mean, this is kind of, I say this like half facetiously, but I feel like so much counts as writing besides actually sitting down and like putting words on paper. Okay. So like, for me, um, you know, if I, <laughs> I mean, this is going to sound really ridiculous, but if I like go to happy hour, because okay. a part of my brain was dedicated to thinking about the story that I'm working on, even though I didn't sit down at the computer to actually, you know, make that revision or whatever. Whereas, you know, like if you are trying to get on an exercise routine, it doesn't count as exercise if you just think about <laughs> going. Running, no. Right. Right. But I think with, with, with writing, you can be a little bit, uh, more fluid. So do you have a specific like writing routine for yourself when you're creating a manuscript? I do, or I try to. Um, I, I know that I am a, a morning writing person. So my routine when I have a good momentum going is that I'll wake up, I'll do my coffee. Um, and then um, I'll write in my journal longhand and then um, and then I'll move to my computer. And what's really important for me is to not look at my phone. So I don't check my emails, uh, yeah. my text messages, no Instagram, nothing like that um, until like if I'm really good, I don't look at it till noon. You know, sometimes I let myself look at it at 11 o'clock, but I try to to, you know, set the morning aside as sort of my writing time because I feel like when I wake up, my brain is still in that semi-dream state and I have access to weird ideas that um, I think I don't have room for when I start thinking about my to-do list, like, oh, I have to buy groceries or reply to that text about that thing or call my mom. So mornings are for writing. And then if I need to do another work session, I can do editing at night, but in terms of creating something, my brain like in the afternoon is no good. I think I would have to be the opposite of that. I am hmm. not a morning person. Um, hmm. It is my, my very firm belief that the day should not be allowed to start until like 11 <laughs> at the earliest. <laughs> Oh, no. I mean, I'm not a morning person either. Like, I can't talk to anybody until after 11. But, like, from 8 to 11, that's, like, my time to to just be sort of like a feral animal. Oh, see, that's my time to be, like, all curled up in my bed with some cats. <laughs> hmm. That's That's how that's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but my partner, she gets up every morning, like, between 5.30 and 6.00. Uh-huh. And that's like her like preferred time of the day. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, no. Wow. Five. Wow. Yes. That's that's really early. Good for her. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> no good for me. <laughs> so now that Fiona and Jane is out in the world, um, do you have any idea what's coming next for you? Yeah, I do. I'm working on my second book and um it's going to be a speculative retro fiction kind of book. 
um, about LA Chinatown set in the 19th century. Um, mm. Yeah, so I've, it's it's going to be a lot different from Fiona and Jane because I've done a lot of archival research into um, you know what the world was like at that time. So that's that's what I'm working on at the moment. Awesome. I love speculative fiction, especially when you can sort of see how the author like got to their ideas. I feel like some of it is just so far out there that you're like, wait, now how how would this happen? But <laughs> some of it you can actually like trace, like, oh, you know, I bet it started with you know something like this, and you can sort of trace how it how it gets to kind of the the final like big idea. Um, and I just, I really like kind of thinking about how people's minds like get, get to that place. Yeah. I love speculative fiction too, but, um, I've never written anything that was, that's even slightly speculative or magical, but this project is sort of just revealed that this is the kind of book it wants to be. So I'm just, you know, going along for the ride. Well, I wish you the very best of luck with that. And hopefully it will make its way out into the world before too long. Thank you. Thanks. I need, I need, I need all the emotional support on this project because it's, <laughs> it's still in its, uh, you know, formative stages. So it is now time for me to ask you my very favorite question. And that is, what have you read recently that you want the world to know about? Oh gosh, um, that is such a great question. Um, it's my favorite. Okay, I just finished um, this memoir by Kat Chow called Seeing Ghosts. Um, it came out last year and it's her first book. And um, Kat is a, a former journalist at NPR. And then she took off some time to write this book. Um, and I remember having read, like, I think, um, like a previously published essay that probably was the seed of this book. And that essay was about how after her mother had passed from cancer, um, she, Kat would, um, would stick her feet in her mother's shoes and like sort of the intimacy of that. And so seeing ghosts, um, the book that came out last year is, is a more thorough exploration of grief and the loss of her mother to cancer and sort of, um, how the family changed. And it's also a really interesting history of, uh, parts of it are like, uh, she explores in a really interesting way the history of Chinese Americans in the U.S. and in Cuba. So I really recommend that book for anybody who perhaps um, is maybe going through grief themselves or um, just wants to read a really beautifully, um, beautifully rendered memoir. I've heard really good things about that. It is actually on my um, hold list at my public library. Mm. So hopefully it won't be uh, too long. Before it comes in, there was a, a book today that I was looking at that came out and it's um, The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chen. Yes. Yeah. And I was going to put it on hold at the library. And when I did that, it told me that I was number 43 on one copy. 
Oh my gosh. Oh my and goodness. And I said, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a long wait. Yeah, maybe this will be one, you know, that I buy. Uh, um, but I'm always really interested in sort of the, like the things that take off at the library. Like you'll have some things that come out and there are a few holds on them, mm-hmm. but then you have other ones that are just like gigantic. Mm. And for, you know, a book that is just out for there to already be like 43 holds on it, um, was just like, <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of wonderful. Yeah. Um, the school for good mothers, that's on my to be read list too. So, yes, um, I'm so excited so for her. Good. Yeah. Yes. Speaking well, of don't put it on fiction. hold. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Don't put it on hold or it will never come. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your release day to chat with me and let listeners get to know a little bit about you and your writing. Thanks so much for having me, Shannon. This was uh, so much fun. You are very welcome. And before you dash off, can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Um, If you have Twitter, you can follow me at Jean Ho. And um, my website is gene-chen.ho.com. Perfect. And again, we are we were discussing Fiona and Jane by Jean Chen Ho, which was out in the U.S. on January fourth. All right. So new books, because this is the first Tuesday of the month. We have quite a few awesome things coming out. So I'm going to start, as usual, with a list of books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated releases of July. So Sarah is looking forward to the new Ronnie Lauren. This is for you and no one else. Say Everything, book three. This is a contemporary romance. Brooke is anticipating the new Kathy Rikes, which is a mystery slash thriller. This is Cold Cold Bones, Temperance Brennan, number 21. And Georgina has a couple of books that she is looking forward to this week. Um, First one is Listen to Me, which is Rizzoli and Isles, book 13 by Tess Gerritsen. And then Brooke and I join her for this next one, The Hidden One by Linda Castillo, which is number 14 in her Kate Burkholder series. And I think a Linda Castillo release is like the high point of of July for a lot of people. These are just really stellar mysteries. So now I want to get into some books that you haven't heard us talk about before. Um, I'm going to start with a couple of historical novels. We have The Light Always Breaks. This is by Angela Jackson Brown. It is about a black restaurant owner who has feelings for a senator in 1947. This is kind of historical fiction with like romantic elements, but also a lot of discussions of race and class. I read her first book 
um, last year, and I just really enjoyed um, getting to know her as a writer. So I hope that this one will be equally compelling. It's The Light Always Breaks by Angela Jackson Brown. We then have Miss Aldridge Regrets. This is by Louise Hare, and it is a murder mystery set aboard the Queen Mary. Um, our heroine is a jazz singer, and she leaves town, she leaves London after there's a murder in the club where she works, only to find that aboard the Queen Mary heading to New York, there's like also murder afoot. This is Miss Aldridge Regrets, and it's by Louise Hare. Sticking with historical still, we have a dress of violet taffeta. This is the new novel by Tessa Arlen. It is about Lucy Duff Gordon, who was a female fashion designer. She took the world by storm, but definitely endured more than her fair share of struggles. And this is kind of a fictional account of her life. It's A Dress of Violet Taffeta by Tessa Arlen. Then we have Joan. This is by Catherine J. Chen. This is a, another fictionalized um, biography. So it is the story of Joan of Arc, and I am super, super excited for this. Um, it has gotten so much early buzz, and if it's even half as good as, as early reviews are saying, it is going to be amazing. So this is Joan by Catherine J. Chen. Then we have The Crimson Thread. This is a new novel by Kate Forsyth. It is set in 1941, and we look at World War II from the perspective of the Greeks. There was apparently a pretty famous 11-day battle um, in Crete, and this is a story of that battle. Apparently, a Greek woman saved the lives of two Australian soldiers, at least according to this book, this happened. Um, there's so much about World War II history that I think a lot of us don't know, um, and so many authors are telling these stories now, which I really appreciate. Um, Stacy has read a couple of Kate Forsyth's books in the past and enjoyed them. So this one is The Crimson Thread, and it's by Kate Forsyth. Okay, so I want to move on to a couple of fantasy things. Um, the first one is urban fantasy. This is The Cleaners. It's Demonic Messes and Other Annoyances, book one, by L.L. L. Frost. And first off, I love this name for a series because, um, you know, I'm guessing Demonic Messes would be kind of annoying. Yes. Um, this is a series about a paranormal cleaning agency who basically will get rid of any kind of like mishaps that you have. You know, if you cast a spell and it went wrong, um, if you summoned a demon and chaos ensued, um, they will take care of this, but they will, of course, do it for a price. This is The Cleaners, Demonic Messes and Other Annoyances, book one by L.L. L. Frost. 
We also have some young adult fantasy. This is The Darkening, Darkening Duology, book one, by Sonia Mora. And this is about a revolutionary who joins forces with a desperate royal in order to save, you know, the kingdom and possibly the world. This is a trope that is done pretty often, but I always find myself like really captivated by it. Um, I'm guessing there might come a time when I grow weary, but so far we haven't reached that threshold yet. This is The Darkening, Darkening Duology, book one by Sonia Mora. Okay, so I want to move on now to some mysteries and thrillers. And I'm starting with The Burning Season by Alison Wisdom. She wrote a book in late 2020, I think it's when it came out, called We Can Only Save Ourselves. Um, this is her second novel, and it is about a woman who's trying to save her marriage and ends up joining this like newly developed sect of Christianity. So it looks like we've got like some cult things going on here, which I'm always a fan of. So I'm looking forward to this one. It's The Burning Season by Allison Wisdom. We also have Reputation by Sarah Vaughn. This is about a woman who is a mother and a member of parliament. It's possible she's also a liar and a murderer. Um, if you want to find out if that's true, you'll have to pick this up. It is Reputation by Sarah Vaughn. David Bell has a new novel out this week, and it's called The Finalists. This is about a group of people vying for a scholarship to college. And apparently this competition isn't just like brutal, it's deadly. Yeah. Um, fortunately, you know, when I was applying for college scholarships, we never took things this far. But this one is The Finalists by David Bell. All right. So let's now have some romance and women's fiction and all these great and glorious things that we love. Because why not, right? The world feels like it's in a constant state of flux and terror and rage. And there is nothing better than romance to kind of boost the mood. So Angie Hockman um, came out with a new book. This is Dream On. Um, this is her second novel, Shipped, came out in either late 2020 or early 2021. Um, but this one is about a woman who wakes up after a car accident and she has these vivid memories of this man that you know seems to have been a pretty significant part of her life. But then she finds out that he doesn't exist. And so now she's trying to sort through her memories and figure out, like, does he exist? Is this like some kind of secret person that she had a relationship with or what's going on? This is Dream On by Angie Hockman. Then we have The Moment We Met by Camille Baker. This is about a woman who is contacted by a dating app. And apparently they have four matches for her, but only one of them is like her soulmate. So now she's trying to figure out which one that is. This is The Moment We Met 
by Camille Baker. We then have What Souls Are Made Of. This is Remixed Classics, book four, by Tasha Suri. Somehow I missed Remixed Classics, book one, books one through three. I need to find these. But this is a Weathering Heights remix. And I'm pretty excited about this because, you know, as a teenager, I read both Jane Eyre and Weathering Heights. And while I loved Jane Eyre, Weathering Heights just felt, I don't know, it just it didn't do it for me. But I have read in the past some very cool Weathering Heights retellings. And so I'm excited to see what Tasha Suri has done with this one. So this is What Souls Are Made Of, Remixed Classics, Book 4 by Tasha Suri. And then we have In Her Boots. This is the second novel by K.J. Delantonia, who I love with every ounce of my being. She wrote The Chicken Sisters back in 2020. And that is like one of the highlights of my pandemic reading. Um, that book does not get enough love. Anyway, she has her new book out this week. And it is about a family trying to save a ranch that they own. We have some feuding among sisters, uh, some possible romance, just lots of family drama. And of course, a ranch setting. Um, I pre-ordered this. It should be showing up in my library in just a few hours, and I am incredibly excited for it. It is In Her Boots by K.J. Delantonia. And I'm going to round down today with a couple of more serious um, general fiction books. So first up, we have Kia Doss's Second Act by... Sofan Deb, and this is about a man who discovers an unfinished manuscript that was written by his daughter. Apparently, um, a while before the story begins, his daughter committed suicide, and now through this manuscript, he is kind of attempting to atone for some of the things that he believes, you know, he did that led to her suicide. Um, this looks like a very, very hard read, but also a very worthwhile read, especially in today's political climate. So this is Kia Das's second act by Sohan Deb. And lastly, we have The Displacements. This is by Bruce Halsinger. He wrote The Gifted School a couple of years ago, which I really loved. Um, this one is a story about the first Category 6 hurricane to hit the, like, you know, to make landfall in the U.S. And apparently a family is separated by the storm and part of them ends up in, like, a displacement shelter. Um, they're wondering if, like, their husband and father has been killed. Um, it looks very, very intense. But I, for some reason, really like reading books about disasters. I'm not sure what that says about me. We, we won't analyze that too much. Um, but I am really excited for this one. It is The Displacements by Bruce Halsinger. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope that everyone is staying safe and well 
and as sane as you possibly can in what sometimes feels like a really difficult world to live in. I hope you have so many books to keep you company during this time and that you are finding your joy wherever you can. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.